Hi, welcome back. My name is Maria and I'm the host of Working Title, the podcast where I talk to people in the design industry about one project. We get to hear from designers, developers, project managers, and many more on their process through a single project. This first season of Working Title will feature some of my colleagues at Senep, and then once they're bored of me asking questions, I'll get to talk to some other people in the industry. On this episode, I'll be speaking to Will Tinney, a front-end developer at Senep. After graduating university in 2015 with an economics degree, Will had a feeling that economics wasn't the right path for him in his career. Not too shortly after, he decided to register in more schooling, this time in a coding program, which aims to bring technical skills to creative people. After this course, his career was set on a whole new path. However, it wasn't necessarily an easy path. He found himself doing a bit of recruitment and freelance work before finally landing himself a job at Senep. A roundabout path to development, but a common thing I've seen happen in the design industry. Will was the front-end developer for a project we did with the London Symphony Orchestra called LSO Play. Welcome, Will, to Slant. Hi, Maria. How are you? Great. Excited to have you on. Thank you. I'm excited to be on. Great. Could you briefly describe what LSO Play is? So LSO Play is a web app for people who are interested in shows, um, performances that LSO have put on. It's a way that the user can interactively explore a certain song. For instance, one that I heard over and over again was Ravel's Bolero, because I had to develop it for so many hours with that song playing in the background. But it allows the user to go in and um, listen to the performance with four screens and uh, change between the different um, parts of the orchestra. And there's, there's cameras shot during the performance on each each different part of the orchestra and you can explore them and while the song's still going on and while that's playing in the background you can look into artist profiles, profiles of the performers, um, profiles of the song. There's actually master classes on there which um, for people who are interested in learning how to play the bassoon then they uh, they could watch a bassoon master class and sort of it will tell them how to do the, the, the more difficult bits in the, in the performance. The bassoon. Yeah, it's a key instrument in Ravel's Valero. Is it? Yeah. I spent loads of time looking at weird instruments related to the ones that I saw in the orchestra. Because they had this E-flat bassoon, and I was like, hmm, this E-flat bassoon looks crazy. It was a different flat clarinet that looked like that. And then it got me looking at like weird types of bassoons. When you've got a contra bassoon... Whoa, that's, that's, that's massive! Class. Look at the size of that. It's massive. That's huge. Viewers at home, listeners at home, you won't be able to see this, but imagine, imagine, imagine a bassoon and it's been elongated. Just Google bassoon. Contra bassoon. Why did you have to constantly be listening to the sound when you were developing it? Like when you're developing a website, you have the website up and you're working on the code. Mm. Um, so while I was working on the code, I just had that sort of still running in the background. And it was more effort to, to mute it or whatever. Um, and like some points I was like, I did a prototype for doing the HTML5 version of LSO Play. So I did some prototypes of how it would fit into the four squares. And so you actually have to have the videos playing. So you just hear. Can you start with copyright? I don't have copyright. Burned, burned into my brain. Can you remember what your timeline on the project was? Yeah, I do actually. So first of all, we... Because this project was coming from um, an existing, we had a version of LSO Play and it was all based on Flash. 
and as Flash is becoming obsolete, the LSO wanted to move it to HTML5 videos and the whole site, give the whole site an update in the process. Originally, it was sort of working out how to actually do it in HTML5 and how that would work, because the, the, the process is very different from Flash to, to HTML5. Initially, it was working on like a prototype for um, how those videos would sit together and how they would run at different times and how you would click on them and get them to change performance um, or change camera, sorry. Uh, also, around that time, I was working on a prototype of how these sliding menus would work and how they would actually fit together as well was something that we need to prototype. Um, and that was all before starting actually on the main project. And then Christoph and I were the two developers, uh, front-end developers, working on it. So first of all, um, it was connecting up all the site with the back-end and what Marco was doing the back-end developer. And then, yeah, Christoph took the more of the video side of things and I'd work on the Explore the Orchestra um, menus. Yeah, so we sort of split off and then joined it all up later on. So do you remember, like, how many weeks you think you worked on this project? Yeah, I think it was um, a little over two months of uh, dev time. So before that, we had, we had people designing the site um, and then there was maybe a week or, or so of sort of part-time prototyping before... Um, Myself and uh, Christoph, the technical director, started working on development full-time, um, and that's for around two months, I believe. As a designer, I know a little bit about development, and I have an understanding of what you guys do, um, but I'm interested to hear how you would describe uh, your role as a front-end front developer. It's quite an interesting question, actually, um, because these days, well, especially when you're working in agencies, front-end developers do all sorts. Obviously, the bulk of uh, a front-end developer's time is sat down actually writing code. But there's all sorts of other parts that come into it, and there's a lot of working out the best ways to actually um, work with designers. There's working out the best ways to work with the back-end. There's actually doing some server-side development, um, uh, potentially back-end development if it calls for it, um, doing some sort of hosting and even potentially more sort of development operation type type roles, um, going and meeting clients and talking to them um, about the technical limitations or technical possibilities that um, the project should have. If you, you put on quite a lot of hats as a front-end developer in an agency particularly. I know friends who that I learned to code with who have gone to bigger sort of service, online service-based companies. He had his job doing this one type of developer like developing for this one part of the site and that was what he was maintaining the whole time. Um, whereas I think working in an agency has been great because uh, it really gives you like a really broad range of things to do. It's totally personality based but like just I, I love the like variety of working in an agency mm. and, and I know a lot of my classmates and stuff too who've like gone into because um, generally what you were talking about with your friend and like doing a specific job that's also like very like um, in-house, mm. it seems. Can't imagine it, but some people, that's what they're all about, I guess. Mm. How do you describe your job to your parents? I'd probably say what a front-end developer does. Um, if, you, if you look at the, the core thing that front-end developers should be doing, it's making the user interaction, the user experience, the things that are actually visible on whichever device or, or whatever the software um, or web page is showing. That's what a front-end developer tends to work on. 
the, the technical definition of the front end is the stuff that the user sees. Kind of interesting. I think that uh, the majority of the words you just said could be uh, said exactly for like a digital designer. If you think about it, you were saying like they're making sure the user experience is good, they're making sure that it looks and works mm. good on all devices. Like, I yeah. think because we're so in this world that like mm. our two roles seem so drastically different. Mm. Where, whereas if you were to say that to your parents and I were to say that to my parents, they would probably have a similar understanding that we're like, our job is not that different, which is interesting. Yeah, I, I agree completely. And actually, they're getting closer and closer. And eventually, I think they'll merge into one thing. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the people that I developed with who are a bit more design-minded, although I've designed some sites in my time. Um, but uh, yeah, some of them are, are properly like designer developers um, and can develop full sites, but also design it. Um, and that's like their job. But yeah, the, the roles are definitely definitely quite similar. It's just um, at the moment, um, designers aren't coding. There's a, there's a lot of design type thinking that comes in with front-end development, um, especially if you want to try, try and keep everything organized and working um, long into the future and not thinking short-term about what you're developing. Because if you don't sort of, it's almost like um, our software architecture in a way um, that you just want to design how the code base is and how everything works together and all the different tools that you're using. Putting them all together is actually the sort of hardest part of becoming a better developer because you're just trying to work out the best way to organize everything. Whereas um, if you don't do that, then everything can get quite messy quite quickly. And so half the skill in developing is putting everything together the right way and knowing what to use and what not to use rather than actually knowing how to code because you can look up how to code most things on Stack Overflow. You designed websites? Sorry, can we just go yeah, back there? Yeah, 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 I designed. One of them is absolutely shocking, mostly because I didn't put it together in a way that I wanted to because I was using WordPress and I tried to customise a WordPress site and fucked it up majorly. Yeah, and then uh, and then I also built this like website and app for um, uh, for this guy I was freelancing for that was I was doing three months before joining here. I was like doing mostly freelancing for this guy who was building like a, a blockchain um, like a blockchain system for visas. It was basically a really secure way to. Um, like do visas and do your immigration stuff and it was around it was when Brexit had just happened so it was like all around the uncertainty and that um, and he was a bit of a like sort of uh, he was like a wheeling dealing banker type um, and he was just like oh I think I can make loads of money off this and then um, ended up sort of not really coming to anything um, and like when I stopped doing it I was sort of thinking he's not really <laughs> going anywhere with this um, and so I started looking for a job. Mm. Um, so I designed the whole app for him. It's pretty cool. It's dashboard. I mean, you you would have laughed because it was way too like, uh, sort of. What did we call it? Option heavy. Oh, no. It wasn't very minimalist. Well, it was quite minimalist, but like, I like my utility. That's fine. I think 
have the utility, but but I think the the idea that designers are very minimalist is because what we're trying to do is display the utility in the simplest, most stripped back. Yeah, but you want all the buttons there to click everything. No, no, no. <laughs> okay, it's like okay. Do you know when you go to like I'm Five Guys good. and there's like three burgers yeah. and you're like, okay, I have what am I? I'm here for a burger. I'm either getting a burger, a cheeseburger, or a veggie burger. Do you know what I mean? Or like, a bacon burger. So there are more than three. My point was that, to me, as a user, is the most clear and simple. <coughs> it's like I'm going Sometimes you want to do everything. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, you don't. You don't want to do everything. You started freelancing after. After I had lunch code. So... You didn't actually go to school to study development after after six former high school. Yeah, yeah. So I, I went to uni and uh, studied economics, I got an economics degree, and then after I came back from that, um, I was planning to go traveling. So um, I did three months working on my dad's farm. When I got back, I was I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I ended up get, speaking to these recruiters and they suggested that recruitment would be um, a good way to sort of get into sales and get into, um, like, get experience speaking with, like, all sorts of different companies. So I joined a recruitment company recruiting uh, in tech. I was recruiting mostly developers, um, although actually it was great because it gave me, like, a super broad understanding. I don't, I'd always been interested in computers and a big gamer growing up and I used to even like make fake viruses on my computer but not really using code, that's the weird thing. It, I just sort of, I don't know how I just blanked out that like coding was a thing for like my entire childhood and, and teenage years because um, if I spent as much time on my computer as I did I probably should have learned something. Yeah, then so so I started to see because we we the, the company covered all sorts of tech, so it covered all different job roles, and it was quite a small um, like startup recruitment company. So I wouldn't only be doing development; I'd be doing sometimes DevOps specialists, which I didn't know what DevOps was, and now I do know what DevOps was. What is it? It's like development operations. So it's like someone who can code, but also is is coding in a way that like speeds up operations or works with operations of a company. But all of these things I was sort of getting to know and I was getting to know all the different coding languages, um, all the different frameworks that were hot and what wasn't hot. Um, and you, you spend a lot of the day on the phone speaking to people in the industry. Um, so you're either speaking to managers who know a lot about it and know what they're looking for, you're speaking to people who are up and coming and trying to get them a job. Um, so you just find out so much about the industry when you're spending like five, six hours a day on the phone talking to like people about technology and coding. And, um, and I was finding like I was spending longer and longer just like chatting to them about like, oh, interesting. So, you know, what's this Redux thing? And also I was starting to, after, after sort of like five, six months, I was starting to get a bit sick of the, the salesy recruitment um, style of, of sales, which... Um, everyone knows and it is kind of like <laughs> what you imagine and I couldn't really I didn't really know what to do but then the more I was speaking to people the more I started to realize oh okay people were learning because I started to see people coming out of these these coding boot camps and getting really good jobs and I started to speak to these people and I was like and they're telling me about it and they're like this is amazing and it, like I was, didn't, didn't even think I would be able to do this 
And I was like, oh, this is sweet. I could, I could actually do this. So um, on the phone, I was asking people what are the best ways to get started, sort of in a way that, that was pro- still finding out about them. So like talking to junior developers, saying, oh, how did you get started? What things did you learn? And then when talking to hiring managers, what's the good things to learn? Um, where's the growth going to happen? All this sort of stuff. Um, and then I really sort of came to the conclusion I probably wanted to do something with web development um, because it's quite hard. I thought it'd be quite hard to get into really intense back-end development um, because if people have been doing that since they were like like much younger and you're trying to go into this thing that is really technical and and has so many people who have been doing it for ages, I thought that it's like quite a high barrier to entry. So I thought that web development, you can learn quite quickly. There's this new... Um, React was sort of um, just getting much bigger. Um, that's one of the frameworks that, that we tend to use here. Um, as a JavaScript framework. And everyone's saying, oh, this is going to be huge, or this is already huge, and, and everyone's going to start using this, and JavaScript's going to be huge. I thought that was, it was quite a good time to get into it and learn it um, and try and sort of like jump up quite quickly to being quite proficient in it comparatively um so so yeah then i then i like found this i just when i decided i was going to quit on decided to quit on the friday and start this boot camp on the monday so uh <laughs> yeah um and then went straight into that um and then three months of uh three months of really intense like seven till seven and then and then yeah you're, you're sitting with them um doing code every day and everyone has the same frustrations and it's great because you go out for beers and you talk about why this is like mind fucking you so much that you can't understand this one concept and the next day you come back and it would be like oh I know I get that um, and because it was so intensive you just sort of managed to grasp the concepts really quickly and yeah and then, then started freelancing and then came here why did you decide to go into economics at the beginning like what was your draw to that <laughs> Um, I actually really liked it. Like, it's in a in a way, it's kind of similar principles. I know this is a really long stretch, but like, I don't think I would have been able to pick up development as quickly as I think I have without keeping up, like, learning maths. Um, and economics had that all throughout the course. Um, and yeah, I was just interested in it. Like, uh, yeah. It's interesting that your story is not a direct path. Whereas, I think, honestly, in design, that's quite normal. Um, Sophia and, and Yang and Gil have all more or less had a straight-ish path mm. to where they are. Um, but I'm sure in your program and, and in my program, there were a lot of people who came from, like, super varied backgrounds. Yeah, there was, like, and, a 35-year-old like, guy who was just, yeah. like, um, working... I can't even remember what he was doing, but it was nothing to do with development at all. And he was yeah. like, for this, I want to learn how to develop. Yeah, there was, I had um, previous teachers, some like musicians, some actors, um, people had like, had whole lives and then decided design mm. was their like, yeah. passion. And I think that that is quite normal in the like world we're in. Um, but it's interesting that you didn't let the, your previous, um, you know, education or 
goals like hinder you from like going into that path like because um, yeah it was does that a, make sense? yeah it makes sense it was a really big decision because that was another thing that I was thinking I think the part of the reason why I stayed in recruitment for as long as I did which admittedly wasn't that long but um, I really thought oh no I've done all this work and now I'm just throwing it away to do something else um, and it is it like it's a happy coincidence that I worked recruiting in technology because I think that really prompted me to do to do what I did. But like, so and that that actually helped because I was like, oh, so it's and, and it hasn't been like a hindrance at all. I think has actually really helped me. Um, and it was a big step because I thought um, first of all the course the course um, was a bit of an investment, um, and then like I was thinking if I didn't like it, then it's money down the drain, time down the drain. But I, I also had like a good idea that I would because I've been so interested in it with the people that I was recruiting. So it's, it felt natural-ish at the time. Do you think that something in your upbringing um, made you interested in this direction at all? Or like, do you think that these are things that like, you're, you have as like, innate as like, a, a person? Do you mean like development or do you mean just having a really <laughs> zigzaggy course? I mean, I did mean development. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I, so um, my, my grandpa was a banker um, and he actually uh, got into development um, ages ago when they were using like cobalt. Um, and he, I think even when they were like stamping, instead of having computer discs, they'd have like stamped sheets because um, they used to have like stamped little like almost like cards um, and to, to, to make the code it would be stamping out different holes in it uh, that's actually where bug this is my nerdy fact um, the word bug comes from um, they actually used to get real bugs in these little holes that would like fuck up the reading no way yeah um, so they would cut punch holes in, in paper in, in paper and then you'd have stacks of paper and that would be the, the program would be feeding these one into another into these fucking huge no actual way. Mm. That's so cool. And so, growing up, he like he bought me a computer um, and my brother's a computer um, that we had with like you'd have to put tape cassettes in as like the the program. So they were on tape cassettes and you shut it and then you'd get some like maze treasure hunt game or something. And so I was like obsessed with that. Um, and and then he would like. He was, he was also a pilot, so he would like have all these, re he would have the latest flight simulator and all this, and he'd, I'd like do that with him all the time. Um, and so, and so I got really into like computers, like from like age four or five, like as soon as we got a computer, I was just on it all the time. And then growing up, I was like, got massively into like Game Boys and games consoles, and my mum's biggest threat of punishment was giving me a computer ban. <laughs> <laughs> so she'd like she'd like threaten that whenever I was being naughty. Um, so so I definitely got into all of that when I was younger, um, which is why I think it's so. And, and my mum's commented on this as well. Why didn't I get into any of this stuff earlier? Um, and that's just what I was saying. I just don't know. It was like a blind spot that I had that um, was just uh, I just didn't really see the potential of how to how this could be something that to do more than just sort of experimenting. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think it, was, it, was, it was a bit of both. I, I, like, I, like, I think my brain works in the right way for doing it, but also 
Um, also, I just grew up with a lot of computers, which, uh, which definitely helps. Do you think that um, if your parents would have, it sounds like they just let you like decide what you wanted to do. Do you think that if they would have pushed, like if they would have been like, I think you would like computers, well you should do computers. Yeah, a little bit. Although actually, I, the thing is, my parents didn't really realise about a career in, that careers in computers could be a, a thing. It wasn't like I wasn't pushed into it. Um, although my mum did say she was wondering why I never thought about getting a job in computers. But um, yeah, I suppose I didn't really know about it. And I didn't really think about it. And I kind of thought I should have like a... I didn't really see a proper career there because I just didn't know about it. Um, and so I just thought, oh, I should do economics and then I'll be able to get a proper job, which I didn't even know what that would be. Something business manny, you know? No, I think... Uh, just speaking from like my own experience, but I think that like as a kid, you have this idea that these a bit more creative jobs are not um, sustainable long term or gonna give you like a nice income or um, like especially for people who kind of want a more or less structured life. Like I would like a house. I would like mm. to earn money. Like um, it's kind of like, it doesn't seem like a feasible job to like do those sort of things. And so I think you can easily talk yourself out of them and see them as a mm -hmm. hobby and not take them seriously unless someone presents it in a different way. Yeah, a little bit that. I, I think also like, because you're obviously doing design and you really like, you knew you really liked draw illustration from when you were younger. Um, so like... I really didn't, I just didn't see that there was even careers. I don't know how I was so blinkered, but I just didn't even really think about careers. In, and I wouldn't have thought it about, you know, design or anything like that. I just, I just didn't think that those were jobs that you could do. I just sort of thought the jobs you could do that were good and were things like lawyers and, and economists and all that sort of stuff. And I didn't really think at all about any of the other jobs. I just didn't even think what the possibilities could be. I think, especially children, unless they're like, um, they see those, like they see things in a different way. Like they only know kind of what's mm. around them and what they've been mm. told or what they've been shown and stuff like that. So like for me, I didn't, I never thought that I was gonna go into illustration design. Mm. I didn't take illustration classes or like drawing classes in high school because mm. I thought it was a waste of time. I was like, mm. I need to get my like proper <laughs> things in. I thought I was going to be like a fashion designer, which yeah, that's not like a normal <laughs> job. But I was like, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to start have my own like business because that seems normal. You can start your own company, have your own like store and I'll sell my own clothes. That's like a more or less straightforward mm. job. I don't know. I didn't even think about starting your own business as being a thing that was even possible. Like, it just, yeah, it just was completely, completely blinkered. But your parents have their own business. Yeah, I didn't even, yeah. I, I don't know why I was so blinking with that sort of thing. I don't know. So, at the beginning of the project, going back to LSO, mm -hmm. what did you think were going to be your biggest challenges? Well, actually, so, because it was sort of fairly early into my career here, I was still getting used to working on projects that were bigger than websites for small clients, um, which is what I've been doing when I was freelancing. And so, one of the first things for me, um, and I don't think this would be one of the particular challenges of the LSO project as a whole, um, and if I was doing it now, I would have a very different answer, but it was really learning how 
how a big project like that was all put together. And so, um, and I, before then I'd sort of been doing maintenance and, and sort of extra features on already existing websites um, that Senet has. And so starting one from a, a React project from scratch on, on a framework that I was quite unfamiliar with, like Next, um, we, we use Next, to, to, which is like a JavaScript um, framework that helps you to, to build a sort of server-side rendered project. It was, it was, it was working with um, unfamiliar tools to me, then I think from a from a technical point of view, not from a someone who is sort of still learning how to code um, with bigger sites. Um, I think a lot of the technical challenges were more working with having all these videos running concurrently. So having forward videos on at once and getting them all to sync up properly. Because we were thinking about potentially having one video with six panels in it but as one video and then chopping that up uh on a canvas so um so that's i think how we ended up doing it and then you'd have some of them not showing rather than having six individual videos because they we found that it was so hard to sync them up and, and which way to actually do that was part of the, the first challenges from my perspective that lso was kind of like quite a full-on project like super involved mm. you know because there was all these like there was video and animations and whatever, all the, all these things. Yeah. Um, and it seemed like there was a lot of like testing and iterations and like a lot of like adapting like on the fly. How did that feel? Like, well, it sounds like your program was like really hands-on. I think that's important for like learning and stuff like that. And you can like work on your own and, and like that's also important. But then to like be working with other people mm. and then also all the stuff that's going on is like can be maybe like quite intense or like maybe it was really fun or maybe... Yeah, it was, it was really fun. Um, it was intense. Um, um, yeah, I think there were some things, especially when I... Uh, back then, it's something that you, you definitely sort of learn how to deal with. Um, you can get stuck on problems for a lot longer period of time. Um, like sometimes something just wouldn't make sense to me how I could fix it. And, and so I'd get stuck on that for, for like longer than I, I had planned for. And then having to, to get back that time was something that was quite interesting. Um, uh, it, was, it was a great intro project, especially working with, with Christoph, who obviously really knows what he's doing. Working with someone else as a junior is, is really useful. Um, and that was another one of my reasons to, to go from freelancing to, to working somewhere with other developers. Because you just, first of all, it is super useful, even still now, to have, um, to have senior developers around to help you when you get really stuck. Um, but also just working on other projects with, with other developers, you, you just, you, you sort of, without realizing pick up ways of doing things and then you'll do something one way and they might say oh it's actually better to do it like this um, and you get to see their code as it as it goes up um, you get to see how they start projects how how the whole the whole project goes um, and it is like I, I think that's why the boot camp is such a good idea because you're all doing it together in the same way that now I'm working with other developers and you just you just learn so much quicker because Everyone's sharing, sharing skills, um, and you really don't get that without that side. I completely agree. I like. I said this before, but I would not be the designer who I am without my classmates, and 
I think that community at that place in your life is so vital to like shaping you mm. like in the workplace because then you, you're building this this idea of like how to work with other people and like like you said picking up things from other people so as a junior did you ever like consciously think about like when should I be at asking questions and when should I just figure it out on my own all because, the time yeah that's something I feel like yeah, I, I, uh, there's like a popular um, thing that goes around in junior developer circles and it's like, is, it's called imposter syndrome and it's where you think that you're not good enough to be where you are or something like that. Um, and especially because development can be quite daunting when you don't understand stuff or um, when you're first getting into it. Um, it can really feel like so suddenly you can find this new topic that you know nothing about and you're like oh my god should I know about this um and yeah so so it's obviously when you come into a workplace lots of people I'm asking loads and loads of questions and um Christoph's always encouraged me to ask lots of questions but then it gets to a point where you're like hmm I think I'm annoying people now by asking so many questions um like I, I would happily grill um any of the developers here all day <laughs> about um about their best ways of doing things. Um, but I think something that I've learned um, judging by people's reactions from my questions and just sort of getting, getting more experience um, is learning to ask the right questions. I think earlier on here, I was like, um, not all the time, I think I was always, I've been quite good at asking the right sort of questions, but earlier on, sometimes I get frustrated not working out quite the logic for a problem or something like that, and then ask, how to do something that really I could be working out on my own. Um, whereas I think the best things to ask, particularly as, as a junior dev, are more like process and how to, how to work out something for yourself and like best practices rather than asking out how to do something that you should just be able to like eventually work out by yourself. Um, so I think over time I've got better at asking the right or more useful questions rather than overloading um, any of the other developers with, with questions that are kind of, I could probably work out myself um, or that could take a Google. I think the harder thing is being a junior or an intern and not asking questions because I've been that person who just sits there and tries to figure it out and or just does something, not really like asking for clarification. And then instead of spending all that time doing that shitty thing, I could have just like, Asked a couple mm. of questions and then spent that time doing something like that was actually working towards the goal. Yeah. I definitely did that on that first Checkland thing that I did. I remember feeling quite like, like fish out of water. I was like, shit, I've actually, I really should know more than I know. Um, and uh, and I was almost feeling embarrassed to ask questions because I was, and it was especially because it was quite early on. I was still getting a read for for myself and and all of that. Um, and how good I should be at that level. And I was thinking, how could I not know any of this? What if I was a question and they're thinking, he doesn't know anything. Um, so um, that was, I, I got over that after a few days um, of, of getting really stuck on some stuff um, and thinking, oh my God, I really don't know how to do this. Um, and, then, and then you sort of calm yourself down and you think, okay, so we can work this all out. Um, and, and, and then you sort of, get more comfortable with asking questions when you realize that everyone's here to help you and 
and it's in their, everyone's interest for you to be doing well. Uh, can you talk about any point in the process where you felt like you had done something that seemed like a failure um, and maybe one that seems like a success and um, how you recovered from it? Essentially, yeah, think about it. What I'm trying to get at is to show people that um, what you generally see is the final product and it's beautiful and it works mm. and it's nice. Um, but along the lines, there are sometimes small or big failures that happen that are never seen or heard. And so um, when you're in that position, you think kind of like you were just talking about, you think, shit, like I should know what I'm doing. Uh, this shouldn't happen. This doesn't happen to anybody else. Like I'm terrible at what I'm doing. Whereas, whereas what I think is actually true is that failure happens to everybody. It's just not talked about. And, um, and you will be able to like recover from it. Mm. And it won't mean that the project is a failure. I, I think it, obviously it worked out fine, but I think, I remember thinking I've been spending way too long on this. Um, and, and it wasn't like necessary like a development issue, although I spent a lot of time developing it. Um, but doing the, the Broomy web app, there was, because we hadn't really organized exactly how it should work, um, and exactly how it should work with the back end. Um, and I, again, I was sort of getting um, getting used to working with like a REST API, which I hadn't really done before. Um, although it's like fairly simple, it's just like a lot of new things at once, and then having this like um, new UI. Um, and so we're working with that, but also developing as we went, uh, designing as we went along. And so there was a lot of um, sort of We'd, we'd have, and this was the whole part of it, I think, was that we didn't really know exactly how it should, how it should look and feel. Um, and so we'd do one thing and then we'd be using it and we'd be like, oh, this isn't right. And then we'd go back and like put some new designs in and there'd be a lot of back and forth. And I think um, I ended up doing a lot of stuff twice um, because like we'd, I'd do something then change it. And I think that from my point of view, um, Something that I could have done better, rather than a, a failure, but something that I, I definitely could have done better was be more, um, more wary of actually what was happening and sort of say, right, we should... Because I was the one doing the work twice and I was the one sort of spending too long on it, thinking, right, we need to sort this out. I need to be the one to say, right, I'm, I'm doing a lot of things again. We should stop and design exactly how this should look and really think about, like, how this app should work before we, before we keep like developing stuff with it. Can you give an example? Like I understand sort of what you're saying, but just just like the, the so the user flows for Broomy, we'd um, we'd have one working one way, and then um, and so I build it in a certain way, and something that I probably could have done better is build it in a way that was a bit more flexible um, for if we did make changes, and then we think, oh, this user flow doesn't work this way. So we need to, to change it. And so I'd go and change it. And then we think, oh, we need to put some of that back in here. And um, it was just quite a lot of chopping and changing. Small things, but, but it definitely took longer than it, it should have done. What makes the way that you build a website more or less flexible? <laughs> There's actually, that, that's like a huge thing is trying to make stuff as flexible as it needs to be. Um, because you can, if you think about it as like how a CMS works, on like a really like high level, they have like 
if you just if you just build a website and you hard code everything in, that's not flexible at all. Whereas if you have a CMS, you're you're allowing like different data to come in and populate it, so it's it's more flexible. So if you're building a, a website and you're say it has like um, say it has like a, an intro screen, if you build that intro screen hard coded in, then it will always be there. Whereas you can do stuff like say you can build that intro screen in only if certain conditions are right or um, or certain things are happening or if, if, if the rest of the website is, is working a certain way. And so that's obviously a really dumb, dumbed down example of it. But um, yeah, that, that, there's, there's a lot of things you can do that make when you want to change something, you can build it in a way that's very component based so that you can reuse stuff. And if you change, if you change one thing, then it doesn't upset everything else, or you can build it in a way that allows you to sort of take something out and the rest of the website can stay the same and then put something else in. Um, so trying to build, trying to build in, a, in a, a sort of stable and flexible way is, is really useful. I cannot actually believe how <laughs> similar design <laughs> and development is. I'm not joking, I'm like blown out of the water right now. <laughs> Honestly, that is like, the exact same issues that I've been like doing in the project that I've been working on right now. Oh really? Yeah. There's a lot of organization that so comes. I know you think I'm really unorganized, but um, <laughs> there's like loads of organization that comes into um, like making um, development projects work well mm -hmm. and making them maintainable and making them future proofed. Yeah. It's funny to think that uh, only a few years ago. I wouldn't have been able to do that mm -hmm. at all. I wouldn't have really known it. If someone said, how do you make a website? I'd be like, mm. <laughs> <laughs> What is something that maybe in this project, maybe it's not, but like the, one of the biggest things that you've learned that you would tell to like a young developer, like say a developer that's studying or just graduated, some piece of knowledge that maybe you would have liked to tell yourself at that stage in your life? A piece of advice that I would give that I sort of didn't need because I was doing it at the boot camp, but um, a piece of advice that I definitely give is even if you're learning on your own, don't learn on your own. Like you don't have to go to a boot camp, but you should find someone who you can code with. Or there's, I mean, there's so many resources online for working with people online. But I mean, actually find someone who you you have a relationship with and you you can talk about all this stuff and you can vent your frustrations because that helps you keep going and you can you can uh, code together on. I think that is like a huge thing about learning to code. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's just, you just gotta put the effort in and as like, as much as it completely like brain hazes you when, you, uh, when you're learning, it just all starts to come together once you just put the, put the hours in. I want to thank Will for being on this episode of Working Title. I've learned a lot, so thanks for sharing. Stay tuned for the next episode. See you next time.